I'm going to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2. And while you're, while you're turning, my wife and I, most of you know, we, we met in Louisville, Kentucky when we were in school. We had a music professor, and he was instrumental in helping us understand how to direct and how to communicate with large performance groups. And I'll never forget one thing that Dr. Dixon emphasized in the pursuit of connection with people whilst making music. He, he talked about the importance of engaging and communicating the whole of the human experience. Communicating and engaging the whole of the human experience. His premise was that humanity must be experienced when making music. You see, there's an inherent beauty in performing music together. Whether it's instrumentalists playing together or, or standing, around, standing around playing bluegrass with some of you all. A choir singing. Or a congregation singing together. This idea of the human experience... What are the good and the not-so-good aspects of what makes us human? And we can't go through an exhaustive list in our time this morning, but, but a few things about the good of the human experience. Our relationships, our, our connection to one another, the connection I have with you, you have with me, I watch you all have and share together. The relatability, the, the, the ability to engage in what... What, what we have in common. There, there are shared traits which are part of the human experience. Our compassion for one another. To, to feel empathy. At some level, to, to feel, period. <laughs> uh, to feel the full spectrum of human emotion. The, the highs and the lows and the wins and the losses and the victories and the, and the sad. And to be able to share those emotions. And one, one manner in which we have shared experience in communication, well, one manner is, is conversation. You know, we're, we're all different. We all converse and we all connect differently to one another. Um, some say a little. Some say a lot. Some say a whole lot. <laughs> some connect with a hug. Some do not. The human experience. In essence, the, the ability to see and share in the good and the not-so-good of human nature. So we've, we've, we've rattled off a few of the good. Let, let's look at some of the not-so-good of, of the human experience. The dark side of human nature. Things which we all have in common. Well, for one thing, we all know what it's like to want our own way. I want what I want when I want it. And wanting our own way often leads to the following when engaging with other people. There, there are breakdowns in communication. There, there can be fractured relationships. There can be hurt feelings, misunderstandings. And unfortunately, at the end of the day, if we're not careful we can become 
conditioned to primarily see only the bad or only the ugly. If we're not careful, we can develop the tunnel vision to, to feel dread when we see another person coming down the hallway or what have you. Another part of the human experience which we all share is the understanding of temptation. Ah, temptation. What shall we say about temptation? Well, this is why I have invited you to Hebrews chapter 2. Only two verses this morning. Only two verses in our time this morning. Starting with verse 17. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like us. Fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus had to be made like us, fully human in every way. And the way this verse began is with this phrase, for this reason, well, we need to... Poke back just a second. Look above. If you've got your scripture in front of you, look at verse 16 just for a second. We ended last week with verse 16 when we read these words. For clearly Jesus does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. As we've seen throughout our time in Hebrews, Jesus is superior. Jesus is above all things. He's above the angels. There's no need to help the angels. The angels, they serve the Father and the Son. And as we've seen and as we know from Scripture and from personal experience possibly, angels provide help to man. Jesus doesn't need help the angels. The angels help us. Jesus doesn't need to help them. However, we need help. <laughs> We need help. And as Abraham, oh, Father Abraham, way back in the very beginning of the book, and back in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was told by the Lord on more than one occasion there was a promise made. And there were different parts of this promise, but the final part of the promise said the following, Through you, Abraham, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. And the Lord reminded Abraham of this on more than one occasion, and would even go on to, to remind Abraham's son and Abraham's grandson. You've heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord would remind them that through their family line, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. Come to find out that Jesus, heir to Abraham, through Jesus, we have provision of the blessing. Through Jesus. Jesus has come to be our help. Our salvation. And in order to connect to us, Jesus, the King of Heaven, Jesus, in order to connect to us, in order to relate to us, Jesus had to be made like us, fully human in every way. Mm. Why? Well, in order that Jesus might become a merciful and faithful 
high priest. The high priest in service to God so that he might make atonement. He might provide satisfaction for the sins of the people. High priest, why? And what does that mean and why does that matter on an overcast Sunday morning in January? Years later. Why does it matter? Well, we need to take a second and look at the role and the function of a, of a high priest. Bear with me. When we think of a high priest, there's lots of things. Kind of like a preacher. There's lots, of, there's lots of things a preacher does. Lots of things a priest does. But when we think of a priest, we generally think of one primary thing. And that's sacrifice. Making sacrifice. And when talking about things like sacrifice, it sounds, honestly, it just sounds foreign and it just sounds weird to us. Why? 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 And there's a, there's a great question that should be asked. And many think about the question, but not everyone is comfortable even to even ask this question. When we, thought, when we talk about sacrifice in the Bible, this thing about why is blood required? We've heard about Jesus and his blood, we hear about blood. Why is blood required? Well, I'm going to tell you. But to answer this question, we've got to flip all the way back to the second book in the Bible. In the Exodus stories, the Exodus account, you, you know about Moses, you know about Pharaoh, you know about Moses' brother Aaron, and, and what happens, Israel ended up in Egypt at the very end of the book of Genesis, and they were there for, for, a, for a few hundred years, and then there's literally a turn of a page, <laughs> And things kind of go sideways for the Israelites in Egypt, and they become slaves, and there's hardship, and there's suffering, and old mean Pharaoh doesn't like the Israelites. And the Lord raises up Moses to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. The Lord gives Moses a helper in Moses' brother Aaron. And on more than one occasion, Moses and Aaron would go before Pharaoh and would say, let my people go. And there were broken agreements, there was tough conversation, there was, there was kind of standoff, all this kind of stuff. The plagues. And what happens, in Exodus 12, the Lord says to Moses and Aaron, go to Israel, go to the congregation of Israel, go to the people and say... That you're there to take a lamb for each household. You're going to sacrifice the lamb. And actually you're going to prepare the lamb in a certain way for a certain reason. To eat it. And you're going to eat it quickly. But you're going to take the blood and you're going to put it on the two doorposts and the lentil beam of your house, of your dwelling. And what's going to happen, I'm going to go through the land of Egypt during the night and I'm going to strike down the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all these gods, quote-unquote, of Egypt, I'm going to execute judgments because I am the Lord. And the blood shall be a sign for you 
on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is the message the Lord gives to Moses and Aaron, and they dispatch the message. They go to the elders, and they say, this is what's going to happen. And you're also going to take a bunch of hyssop. You're going to dip it in the blood, which is in the basin of the sacrifice, because you've sacrificed that, that lamb. You're going to make the application of the blood. None of you will leave the house until the morning, and the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when the Lord sees the blood on the lintel beam and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over and will not allow the destroyer, the angel of death, to come into your houses to smite you. Wow. Blood is a sign of protection. Blood is associated with the living. And a little bit later, there's another scripture which speaks to this one, and it's found after the Israelites make the exodus, they leave Egypt and they're in the wilderness heading toward the promised land. And the Lord speaks to Moses in Leviticus 17. The Lord says, Any man from the house of Israel who slaughters an ox or a lamb or a goat either in the camp or outside the camp, and if he doesn't bring it into the doorway of the tent of the meeting, the tabernacle, to make it as an offering to the Lord, what's going to happen? Blood guilt is given, is reckoned to that man, and he's cut off from his people. Also, if any man of Israel or the foreigners, the aliens who are traveling with them, if they eat this blood, they'll be cut off. Okay, this just sounds kind of wild. But in Leviticus 17, there's two verses. There's verse 11 and verse 14, and it says the following. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement to satisfy this debt for your soul. For it's the blood by reason of the life that makes this atonement. Then verse 14, Leviticus 17, verse 14. For as for the life of all flesh, its blood is identified with its life. Blood is not only associated with the living here, blood is a sign of life. Only blood can make atonement. An example of the need for a high priest in our lives, and I'm going to use an absolutely non-religious example. I was getting my car inspected a couple of weeks ago. And I've, I take my iPad with me, and I'm always making notes. And I thought, wait a minute, we're talking about functions and the high priest and all this. 
an example of a need we have when we get the car inspected. I'm sitting in this real-life example. There's generally always something about an automobile that has to be addressed. And I am not a mechanic. We have to perform regular maintenance on automobiles. Sometimes the sensors go off. Those lovely oxygen sensors that say something's going on but the car still runs. And What happens when you get the car inspected? Something has to be addressed. We have to have oil changes, brakes, and in a very similar way, we all need maintenance too. Amen. We all need maintenance. And Jesus, for lack of a better term, he's kind of a soul mechanic. Amen. He's a merciful and faithful high priest. And at the very end of verse 17 this morning, in Hebrews chapter 2, we see that Jesus had to become this merciful and faithful high priest. Well, that troubles me. And if you read hard enough, it ought to trouble you. Why did he have to become anything? He's the Son of God. Why does Jesus have to become this? Right? Well, we just saw the answer to this. Leviticus 17, verse 11 and verse 14. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And the Lord has given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. And then you go to 14 and you see this. For as for the life of all flesh, its blood is identified with its life. And here it is. The Lord has given blood for us, blood to us, on the altar to make atonement for our souls. It satisfies our debt. And during the first Passover, what we just saw in, there in Exodus. During the first Passover in Egypt, the lamb's blood spilled on the lentil beam in the doorposts made atonement. It satisfied the Lord. Therefore, the angel of death would pass over those homes covered in the blood and would not stop by. A lamb's life given as sacrifice, taken as sacrifice, Provided life for another. The lamb, sweet little lamb out in the field, has to become the sacrifice by the taking of its life. In the very same manner, Jesus' blood spilled on the cross makes atonement for us. Jesus has to become the sacrifice by the giving of his life. Not the taking of his life. Jesus freely gave his life. His life for our lives. Jesus has become a merciful and faithful high priest for us. Verse 18 this morning. Therefore, because he himself, Jesus himself, suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who 
are being tempted. Mm. Temptation. Man, I just say the word and all sorts of things pop up, don't they? Temptation. What I call the the wear and the tear on the road of life. We all understand temptation. We have all suffered from temptation. Jesus suffered with temptation too. Here's the difference. Jesus never succumbed to temptation. He never fell victim to temptation. Jesus made like us, fully human in every way, as our sinless sacrifice, Jesus never sinned. But Jesus was tempted. So what does this mean and why does this matter? Well, there's a lot. (laughs) But specifically this. You and I, we deal with temptation. At every level, at every age of life. What are things that tempt you don't tempt me. What are some things that tempt me don't tempt you. We all have we all have different itches. But we deal with temptation and if we are really honest, if you and I are really honest, we feel guilty. We feel guilt when we face temptation. Even if we don't act on it, we still feel guilt. Jesus was tempted. Jesus never fell victim to temptation. Jesus wasn't guilty, but Jesus faced temptation. Jesus suffered because Jesus was made like us. Fully human in every way. Have you and I suffered because of temptations? Absolutely. The reality is, you and I will always be faced with some kind of temptation. But that's not on us. The sin is not in being tempted. Jesus was tempted. Did Jesus sin? No. There's no need for you and me to feel guilt about temptation if we don't act on it. However, the sin is not being tempted. The sin is falling. It's choosing that temptation. And there's things we can avoid, things that we can do to avoid being tempted. Much of the time, I mean really most of the time, we know our tails, we know our itches, we know our triggers. And the trick is really to avoid those risks, is to avoid those traps. Sometimes those risks may be people. Sometimes those risks may be places. Sometimes those risks sometimes those risks may be things. And that's the key. But we have a model to follow, and that's Jesus. Jesus knows our every weakness. Jesus 
is not isolated and locked up into some ivory tower. Because he himself, Jesus himself, suffered when he was tempted. Because of that, Jesus is able to help those who are being tempted. Namely, all of us. And still, in spite of all of the bad human nature that Jesus experienced, Jesus is able and Jesus is willing to engage us. He's willing to help us in the joys and the sorrows of the human experience. How does he do this? In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 through 27, we see the following. Jesus is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for us. It's fitting for us to have this high priest. He's holy, he's innocent, he's undefiled. And he doesn't, need, he doesn't have to daily offer sacrifices like earthly high priests, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the other people because... Number one, Jesus didn't sin, and the fact of the matter is, Jesus offered himself once for us. He offered himself up once. In all of his mercy, and all of his faithfulness, because Jesus embraced his humanity on the cross, which resulted in his death, as the Son of God, the resurrection of Jesus now takes away the power and the sting from death. Jesus is all man, and he's all God. Jesus is the one who sacrificed, who was sacrificed, he laid down his life freely for us, for the sins of all. Mm. Wow. What a friend we have in Jesus. Jesus.